0: Well, today um, um, we're going to be in Judges 6, and we're starting a new series, but I want to read our text. I don't normally do that, but I want to read our text, and then we'll get into where we're going to go with this today. So this is Judges 6. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak tree in Ophrah. That's with an F, even though it says P. That's not the woman on TV right here, okay? (laughs) Okay. Ophrah, yeah, she was here then, and she's here now. No, that's not. That belonged to Joash the Abiezite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. Okay, there's a lot of names there, but the the point is that Gideon is in a winepress threshing wheat. He's trying to do it there because it's secret. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders and that our fathers told us about when they, did, when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the, in the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. So, Lord, may we find um, our hearts getting into lockstep with your spirit. Speak to us through your word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, today is the first in a new series of messages that I'm basically going to call Ego. And um, ego is kind of a funny word. Most of the time when you hear the word ego, people are talking about someone having too large of an ego. They think maybe too highly of themselves. The word actually is—it um, uh, really means what we think about ourselves, how we see ourselves, and who we believe we are. And it's—it's it's the part of our personality that, help, that kind of adapts between us and the world of the reality world around us. Unfortunately, some people think a little too highly of themselves, and some people, probably more, think too lowly of themselves. And so um, and, uh, if, if you're a student of the, the Old Testament history at all, you would know the concept of altars. Altars were places where for centuries believers would sacrifice something meaningful. They would lay something down at the altar of God. And um, over the next few weeks, I'm going to suggest to you and encourage you to lay your ego down at the altar of God. And we'll talk about what that means, and uh, and see where that takes us. Um, because I want you to, um, over time, stop thinking about who you are based on what you believe or what other people, who other people say you are. But instead, to consider who God says that you are. Lay down at the altar our own perceptions of ourselves and adapt the perception that God says we are. So, um, so here's where we're gonna go over the next four weeks. A quick overview. Um, as we talk about our hearts and our egos. Today, we're going to talk about laying down our feelings of inadequacy. Feelings of inadequacy. Because I think it's pretty common for us to feel somewhere in our life, or maybe in a lot of places in our life, we just don't measure up, we're just not quite adequate. Next week, we're going to talk about our need for control. (laughs) To some degree that we battle over that. And that really can be a lack of faith. That really, our need to control can be be really based on a lack of faith and it can get us in trouble. Week three, I want to talk about our, and and, and lay down, our right to be offended. (laughs) In our culture, people feel like it's their right to be offended. In fact, some people go and look for places so that they can be offended because it kind of empowers them. It does. It empowers you. If you are the offended party, you get to kind of rise up and assert yourself. And and then in the... um, Week four, I want to talk about laying down our longing for approval, our longing for approval, which I think can captivate people, because the quickest way to forget about what God thinks about you is to be too obsessed and worried about what other people think about you. Anyway, so that's where we're going to go. Today, we're going to be talking about laying down our feelings of inadequacy. I I don't don't know about you, but it's amazing how quickly I can go personally to feeling incredibly inadequate. Inadequate. I mean, I can't, I can get there, I can, I mean, I, I start comparing, maybe I compare myself to somebody who's you know, been really financially successful, or, or I drive through a neighborhood and I see some really nice houses and I think, you know, what do these people do? What's different about them than me? I got to write hard, I work hard, you know, and I start doing these comparisons and I start feeling like, you know, there's something wrong with me because I don't do that. Or, you know, maybe you have a friend whose house is always perfect. And you go in there and, um, you know, you get in their house and you think about your own house and your house kind of smells like damp fur or something. And, and this house you're in always smells like cinnamon and fine leather, you know. <laughs> you know, their food is always served on time. You're, you know, her hair is always done perfectly. Her nails never break. I hate that when my nails break. You love her because she's your best friend. But you hate her because she's always perfect. I can't live up to that. I you know. I mean or you have a close friend who's just smart and popular. You work hard and you get Bs and C's in school and that's what it was for you and your friend never studied lick, got A's all the time. You'd show up at the dance alone, but you know, she'd have seven guys chasing her, and you think, you know, what's what's wrong with me? I just don't measure up. Or sometimes, and I don't know if this happens to you, but I know it happens to me sometimes, you feel spiritually inadequate. <laughs> you know? You're a Christian, and sometimes you spend time with Mr. Super-Christian. And you're talking about some issue, and he goes, yeah, you know, that makes me think of Second Chronicles 13, and he quotes it to you <laughs> in three translations. And you're thinking, Second Chronicles is that a book in the Bible? I mean, a, I mean, <laughs> how do they do that? You know, you think that. Or they pray, and when they pray, you can sense the clouds part, birds start chirping, and and then they say it's your turn to to pray, and all you can think of is rub a dub dub. Thanks. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? They ask you to pray, and you're thinking, ah uh, ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think when I was a young adult, I don't think I ever in my life felt as inadequate as the first few moments of my firstborn son Ben's life. You know, we had we didn't know we were going to do this this C-section thing, and we were in there doing the labor thing. We were in there doing the labor thing. <laughs> Excuse me. I, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so. Um, we're in the hospital. Lisa's doing the labor thing, and I'm doing something. But there's something there going on. And after a couple of days, literally of labor, it was difficult. They decide in the middle of the night, "Hey, this isn't working." Down the hall and into the, you know, so so we we go in there. They do the C-section. I'm in. I'm in there. And um, um, out comes this baby, my son a miracle. And they do what they do with new babies. They you know, they squirt them, they poke them, they weigh them, they do all that stuff. They wrap them. I'm in there now. My wife who, you know, she's cut in half. And they're kind of sewing her back together. So they, they're doing that. And now I'm, they've moved me over with the pediatricians and, the, um, and, and my son. They do their thing. And now he's wrapped up. And the nurse does this. <laughs> I was ready for this. Mentally, but they handed me this baby. I'm just barely not a teenager. And what do I do? I said, What do I do? And she says, You go over there and you sit in that rocking chair and you spend some time with your son. It was a precious time to me. I mean, it was a tremendous time. I sat there alone with my son. And I'm grateful. I, was, I feel really selfish because my wife couldn't do that. She was being, you know, Closed up. But I know in those moments I thought, oh God. I don't know what to do. I have to raise this. I've got I've got to lead him. I've got to teach him. I've got to shape him. And I felt really, really inadequate. I really felt in those moments um, something wondrous and a, a level of fear that I can remember to this day. <laughs> because I just didn't know what I was going to be. I mean, I, I, I had a dog that I had to take to obedience class so that I could learn how to raise a dog. If I touched a house plant, it would die. And they handed me this human being. I'm feeling a little bit of inadequate. Consider also, you know, what I do for a living. I'm a pastor, right? I get up here and I preach. And you wouldn't believe how sometimes I feel incredibly inadequate as a pastor. I mean, if this was never my plan to be a guy who stands in front I don't, because I don't feel good enough. I don't, I don't feel holy enough. I don't feel like I know enough. And in spite of how certain I am of the call of God upon my life to do this and how certain I am of his faithfulness, I still fight feelings of inadequacy. <laughs> it happens every week. Every week. Why do we battle with our ego and uh, this belief of inadequacy that we have? Why, why does that go on? I mean, I want to build a quick foundation and uh, look at the story of Gideon. And I believe that his story is going to help us lay down our egos in a way and, uh, so we can become who God calls us to be. Why do we feel inadequate? I think there's lots of reasons. I picked three primary, primary ones. I'll give you my, my top three. First one is I think we've received unfair criticism somewhere along the way. Somewhere along the way, somewhere in your life, somebody said to you, you don't measure up. You don't have what it takes. I don't like you. I wish I'd never had you. Why can't you be more like fill in the blank? You're pathetic. You're never going to amount. I mean, somebody has said those kinds of things to you. And internally, those messages got burned onto this hard drive in your soul. And they now have become approved. Approved in your mind about a description of who you are and anytime you start to do something significant in life those tapes start playing and you start thinking "Uh, (laughs) I'm not capable there's no way I'm going to get into this unfair criticism second reason a lot of people think that we don't think of is is I think sometimes unrealistic compliments kind of get in the way you know You're the best. You're amazing. No one's as good as you, you know? And inside we're going, well, thanks for the compliments. Thanks for the encouragement. But if you're really sincere about this, you're missing some things because you may think this, but I know me. And um, I mean, sometimes I wonder, and I know the right heart about this, and I I agree with it, but I'm concerned about this. Sometimes I wonder if we have done a little bit of a disservice to an, an emerging generation that I really love. I love the 20-something generation of people. Um, but back when I was growing up, you actually had to be good at something to get a trophy, <laughs> right? I mean, I understand now what we do is that we give all the kids um, a trophy because there's no such thing as anybody's team losing. I mean, I know people who are soccer coaches to little kids or have been, and the league, leagues at those levels don't keep score. But I promise you, the little kids are keeping score, they are, <laughs> they're keeping score. But, but we tell them all, oh, they're, they're amazing and they're special. And we, I know what we're trying to do is build their esteem and build their confidence, and those things are good. We want to do those things with them. But in there somewhere is something in their mind that says, now you've told me I'm special, but everybody got the award. Everybody, I don't know, so, I'm not so really sure I'm special. And then as age happens, the real world kicks in they start thinking they start seeing how the world does honor success it does in a lot of ways and not everybody succeeds and they start thinking you know here's where people have said I am here's where I think I am i i don't know if i want to try this because i don't know if i'm really good enough you know you think i'm up here i think i'm down here and i just feel inadequate and and it's it's amazingly common in the 20 something generation for them not to step forward because there can even be a paralysis of fear, a failure in that generation, more than more than else. So unfair criticism, unrealistic compliments. These are just my opinions, by the way. Um, if you don't like my last statement, my, my email is eric at Crossroads Foursquare. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, thank you for teaching last week, and I heard wonderful things, and Lisa and I had a, a nice time of rest with our kids from out of town present, so thank you for that. Well done. Now that's actually recorded on the message too, right? So, (laughs) no, that's sincere and earned praise. So unfair criticism, unrealistic compliments. A third reason that um, is, I think, becoming even more common is unwise comparisons. We look around at other people and you say, you know, I don't know if I'm just, I'm just not like them. I'm not as attractive. I'm not as bright. I don't have the fruits of the spirit that this person demonstrates in their life. In fact, I, you know, I've been talking a lot recently about social media, and I'm, this is not a slam, but it's, it's, it's just something. I, one place I read said that social media is now one of the largest causes of a sense of inadequacy. You upload a picture of your peanut butter and jelly dinner, you know, put your picture down, it's on Facebook. And then you notice your friend has just uploaded a picture, and it's lobster. Her hand is in the picture, and it's got an engagement ring or a wedding. It's a wedding ring because it's taken on a beach in Hawaii. And you look at your peanut butter and jelly, and you think, what's wrong with me? I've never been even on a vacation. I don't even know what lobster tastes like. It's a big giant sea insect, by the way. And... (laughs) And it's, it's, you look at this and you think, you know, my life isn't so hot. I got 172 Facebook fans, friends. She's got 918. I'm a loser. And we compare our own behind-the-scenes reel with their highlight reel. You get that comparison? We look at their highlights, their best of album, and we view our own bloopers Our own fails. And that's the reel that we watch. We see them with their kids. Their kids look perfect. And we know we just yelled at our kids. Plus, our kids' socks don't match. And it wasn't on purpose. (laughs) And we see them worshiping in church. And they look good. But we know the doubts that are struggling in our own soul. They look beautiful. They look put together. And we look in the mirror and we think, you know... I got another blemish showing up on the end of my nose. The end of my nose. Do you realize how embarrassing it is to preach in front of people when you know a blemish is coming right there? You probably don't. I do know that. I don't want your makeup, honey. I'm going to man my way through this, okay? We just feel inadequate and we, we are comparing these behind-the-scenes videos of our own with their highlight reels. And, and then our ego starts to tell us what we're not when God wants to tell us what we are, and to overcome that, we have to lay down our feelings of inadequacy at the altar of the Lord. I think Gideon can help us out here, judges six same, same scripture i 'm going to read it this time with a little bit of commentary along the way, and we 'll let help god um, have, have god 's help here to lay down our ego on his altar, so we can become more who he says we are. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Ophrah, excuse me, (laughs) Ophrah, that belonged to Joash the Abiezarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, anybody, any responsible farmer knows that where you thresh wheat is up on the top of the hill. Because you 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 grab it and you throw the wheat up in the air and the wind blows the chaff away and the good grain stays behind. So you do it, usually out in the open, at a point where there's a lot of air movement. Inside, underneath a wine press, is not where to, to thresh your wheat. He's down there because he's hiding. He's afraid. He's, he's, he's scared the Midianites are not only going to take what he, he, he needs to eat, but who doesn't know what, what's going to happen. He's terrified. And here's what the angel says to him knowing that he's terrified. Verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you. And then the angel calls him this. He says, mighty warrior. Now, my immaturity, if I would have been there, I would have said, you scaredy cat. Two words that go together. <laughs> <laughs> scaredy cat. He would have said, you're hiding. Don't clear your throat. The cat section back there. Yes. He says, you're hiding. But the Lord saw something in him that he didn't see in himself. And he calls him mighty warrior. And then Gideon replies, verse 13, but sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our father told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Then we're gonna see in verse 15 that anytime God calls you or anytime that God empowers you or God sends you to do something, you have this external enemy that wants to tell you what you're not. And then your inner me starts to go back through the file system and play those tapes those negative messages that your ego has been kind of conditioned to approve already. Okay, verse 13. But Lord Gideon asks, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. You might actually say that like this. Well, I'm just not that talented. Or I'm just not that good on stage. Or I'm just not, I can't sing, I'm not that bright. I'm just not that godly. If you knew the things that I had... Those are the things that we say in our mind and all these inner messages that are trying to tell us why well, you can't do what God already has said you could do. Verse 16, the Lord answered. And now this is the key, I think, to the whole thing the, 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 the angel saying here. I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. What I want us to do is for us to lay down our ego at the altar of God Because we are not who we think we are. We're going to become who God says we are. That's our plan. Now, three things that you need to know about you from the story of Gideon. And uh, when your inner voice starts to tell you messages of insecurity and inadequacy, remember one thing. God's view of you is different than you think. God's view of you is different than you think. I promise you that God sees more in you than you see in yourself. Verse 12, the angel um, is he finds Gideon hiding, and everything about his physical action says he's afraid. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior, because the Lord sees more in you than you see in yourself. I mean, I love to watch um, what the Lord is doing here at Crossroads um, in people's lives. This is exactly it. I mean, We have ministries that are going on here. Some of them are new. Some of them are older ministries that have been refreshed and relaunched. And um, what's fun for me is to see the leadership that's that's rising. Because some of the people who are leading some very significant ministries here, if you had, had said, hey, in a year you're going to be leading this, they would have said, you're crazy. There's no way I could do that. And at some point, the Lord lovingly and tenderly confronted beliefs that weren't true and said, there's more in here, and I'm going to help you succeed, and you just need to step into this and see where this goes. And, I mean, I don't want to name the ministries because I don't want ever a sermon to point out individual people because I haven't asked their permission, you know. So don't worry, I'm going to embarrass you like that. But, um, But there are several significant ministries here that people never believed they could do, and they're very, very successful today. Yet they do. Why do they take that first step? Which, by the way, is the most important step. I think it's because God saw something inside of them that they didn't see see in themselves. And I want every single person here, every single one of you to know this. God's view of you is different than your view of you. Somebody somewhere has told you you can't or you won't, and your inner me has all these reasons why you can't do the things that you believe that the Lord is calling you to do. But God's view of you is different than you think. And I love the way it's worded in Ephesians 2, verse 10. Um, the word says, For we are God's masterpiece. He, was created, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Do you realize that even before you were born, God had a heavenly to-do list for you? And God created you already with everything you need to succeed at what he's calling you to do and to be. God's view of you is different than you think. Others, you know, often don't see you the way God does. Everybody else looked at Rahab. And what they saw in Rahab, um, this is a picture from her Facebook profile page. (laughs) They saw Rahab as a prostitute. This is from the story of Jericho. I'm not going to go into that, but you can look her up. She's an interesting person to look at. Everybody saw her as a prostitute, but what God saw was a woman who, whose heart could be turned to serve him. She ends up marrying this godly man named Salmon, just like the fish, only pronounced with an L. Salmon. And if you follow her genealogy, her genealogy leads to Jesus. She is in the genealogy of Jesus. This This woman... Others saw a prostitute, but God saw some divine potential in there. It's pretty amazing. Other people looked at David, and they see this cute little, you know, precious moments shepherd boy. <laughs> and God saw something different. God saw a warrior able to stand up to a giant. And when David sinned and fell, as everybody does, other people saw him as an adulterer. What God see? What God saw was a man who he knew sought after God's heart more than anything else, in spite of his failures. And then Peter, you know, he messed up again and again, and he just couldn't seem to get things right. What did Jesus see in Peter? Jesus saw what he called a rock. In fact, he saw Peter, who was so in, was so available to the anointing of God that he got to be the guest speaker at Pentecost. Pretty amazing deal going on there. So I came today to tell you this, that God's view of you is different than you think. Second thing is God has given you more than you think. God has given you, put more in you than you think. And so I, I love the way that this is approached by God because God didn't tell him to, you know, go take a class to prepare yourself for this calling. I'm not against education here. He doesn't say, though, you know, go online, doesn't say read a book. But here's what he says in Judges 6. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Go in the strength I've already given you. Go in the strength that you already have. It's more than you realize. And there are some of you here that um, all you hear is the negative message from your inner me. I mean, I don't have what it takes. I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. I'm not cute enough. I want you to know that God has given you more than you realize. More than you realize, there's more inside of you. You have everything you need to do, everything that he has called you to be. And I, I, would, I just have a sense that as I was preparing t- you know, for this over the last several days, that there were gonna be people here today who absolutely need to hear this. You need to let this get down into your soul because there's more in you than you realize. More in you than you realize God put those things in you. There's this powerful scripture in Second Peter um, 1 Verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Can we read that first part in green aloud together? His divine power has given us everything we need. One more time. His divine power has given us everything we need. So the question I would ask you this, is God holding anything back from you? No, that's right. He gives you everything we need for life and goodness. Through what? He, he does that through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory. And in other words, it's in our knowledge of him that he gives us everything we need. There's a twist there for you to study out. There's something important there. I mean, I, I really want to challenge you to stop believing what other people have said about you. Stop believing the negative messages that your inner me continues to tell me, but you can't do things because... God views you differently than you think, and He's put more in you than you realize. You know, but I'm not a stage person, or I'm not a behind. I'm, I'm more of a behind-the-scenes kind of a guy. Well, Jesus said, "Yeah, you know, people do serve behind the scenes," and He said, "Those who serve are the greatest." He said something about people that serve that way, and you might be the greatest in the kingdom, and you may not even know it. <laughs> and you, or maybe you say, "You know, I'm just not that good of a provider." I mean, I look at my paychecks and. For my employer, and I work hard, but it's certainly not a six-figure income. But, well, maybe you're the father that's home with your kids six nights a week. And that investment of your life into your children's lives will make a bigger difference than any amount of money you could ever earn. Well, I just never know the right thing to say. I'm really good at listening, but I just never have the right words. You know how many lives have been changed by good listeners? Because when you're a good listener, you bring the presence of the Lord into circumstances and you had no idea. And the presence and the loving, tender presence of the Lord is there. Active, compassionate listening and your presence can really represent God's presence. Uh, and God has given you more than you think. I think sometimes we, we can maybe insult God by listening to the things that we believe are about ourselves. God's given you everything you need to do everything that he wants you to do. I want that to go deep down into my heart. I hope it's going deep in yours, too. God's view is view different than you think. God has given you more than you can think. And here's the last one, third one. It's less about you than you think. <laughs> Does that feel like a... Ch- I don't mean for it to. Um, but it is actually less about you than you think. And here's what the Lord says to Gideon in verse 16. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Remember, at the beginning of this text It says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I will be with you. In that phrase, who holds the real power? It's obvious, God does, right? I mean, it's less about us and more about his presence than we realize. And it was certainly less about Gideon and more about God's power than Gideon realized. When God calls you to do something, it's always more about the presence of God than in your giftings. It's always going to be about, more about the presence and involvement of God. It's more about his strength and your strength. It's less about you than you think. That's why I think as believers, we need to take our ego, what we believe to be about ourselves, and lay it down on God's altar. Lay it, Just lay it down there and, 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 and choose that we are not going to be who other people say we are. We're not even going to be who we think we are. Instead, we're going to become who God says we are. We lay it down. It's less about us than we think. You know, I told you earlier um, that, that I feel inadequate as a pastor. And, um, and the reason is, I am inadequate. I really am inadequate to be a pastor. I know my behind-the-scenes outtakes. I know my failures. This is not false humility. I'm telling you the truth. I am not adequate as a pastor. The good news is that it's less about me than I think. <laughs> so here's what I do. I do this every week when I preach. I mean, it might be imperceptible to you, but I do it every week. And um, it's, it's completely very meaningful to me. Um, you know, people say, do you get nervous when you preach? And the answer is yes. Yes, I do. I still do. You know, every single week. I mean, I used to get physically sick to my stomach. I'd be... Preaching on Sunday, and I would be physically sick on my stomach maybe from Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday until sometime after church. That's true, isn't it? She says, yeah, that's true. Friends know that about me. And uh, I don't get physically sick to my stomach anymore. But my mouth still goes dry, so I bring a bottle of water. My hands get cold sometimes. I mean, oh, wow, Terry, I'm just telling you. I feel inadequate, and, um, (laughs) you know. But here's what I do. I come up here, you may never notice this, but I do this every time. I physically step forward. It's almost like I see myself as opening up, stepping out of Terry Fisher and stepping into the calling of God. And then I'm not standing any longer in the strength and the capabilities and the giftings and the highlight reels of Terry Fisher, but I'm standing in the strength and in the love and in the grace of God, in the redemptive power and in the authority and in the love and in the compassion of Jesus Christ. I step out of Terry Fisher and I step into the good things of of who God says I am. And I'm able to do something here that reflects less of me and when it's good, it reflects on God, the calling of God. You know, I remember my father taught me that. He, 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 he he, he he, He didn't teach me to do this but I remember the first time that I played competitive basketball and I would get fouled on and I'd step up there and I would get so nervous at the foul line and you're supposed to make every free throw. That's why it's free. Take the point. Come on. Right? And I would miss it because I was nervous and my father says, hey, from now on, when you get up there, put your toe in your spot, dribble the ball once. If you feel like you're enough, that's good. Do another one time. Take a deep breath. And I was stepping out of my stress and focusing, now that's, that's where my father taught me that I could step out of that moment and I would step into, and that's what I do. I do it when I preach because I am inadequate. And that's how I can do what he calls me to do. That's how you can do what God calls you to do. But I'm not good enough. Well, don't do that. Step into his grace. But I'm not smart enough. No, step into his power. Scripture says that His power is made perfect in your weakness. That's his promise to show up, by the way. Well, I'm never going to be adequate as a a parent. No, step into what God has called you to do. If you have a child, God has called you to be a parent. That's part of the deal. That's part of the deal. In fact, many people, probably most people, are called to be parents, even if God hasn't given you a child. If he calls you, he's going to equip you, and you have everything you need to do already, the things that he wants you to do. Well, I just can't get it done. Step in his strength, and he'll get it done through you. Philippians 4.13 says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Because you are not who other people say you are. You're not even who your inner me says you are. You're who God says you are. You're his masterpiece, created in Jesus Christ to do good works, things that he planned for you a long, long time ago. So when you lay your your ego down on his altar, you kneel down and you sacrifice this to the Lord. And when you stand up, you start stepping into that place of who God's called you to be. Because God's view of you is different than you think. God has given you more than you think. And it's less about you than you think. It's really all about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, We pray today that your spirit would minister faith and hope and love and healing in people's hearts. And God, I I know that there are people here who have battled with feelings of inadequacy. I pray, Lord, that those inner voices that are shouting loudly would be muffled more and more by the loving, sweet words of heaven about who you see us to be. Pray, Lord for people who have heard this maybe because it was ingrained upon them by their parents who said things that were unloving and should never have been said to a child. God, you are the creator of the heavens and the earth. You're the author of life. Surely you have the power to fix a broken heart. Surely you have the power, God, to reach into circumstances that need to be healed by heaven's touch. Something that has shaped our viewpoint about ourselves that's just not true that may have been planted so long ago that we don't even realize it anymore. God, I pray for the miraculous today and I ask for you to pull things out of our soul that don't belong there. Pull them up by the root. Lay the ax to the root there, Lord, I pray. And for people who this topic might be hurtful, God, they look back and they feel now wounded. And hurt. I pray, Lord, that you would walk with them in, in that as well. That, Lord, there would be something of tender forgiveness and faith in you because it's really not about us. It's about us less than we think. Lord, I pray to this day that we would be people who contribute to those around us. That we would be encouragers of people to see how God sees them, not, not the temporal way that human beings do. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness in that. In Jesus' name. Amen.